this will be a Bible study all the way. But it's something that is extremely important. 1989, I titled three messages, Jesus' Salvation. Now, <clears throat> what I want to do is put the same title on this. might be a little confusing to the people working in the tape ministry. But we're basically covering the same thing that we covered in one of those lessons. I feel that this is extremely important because I do not believe that you can have revival, build a church, or be successful in Christian living without preaching Jesus Christ. Matthew 1, verse 21. This is speaking of Mary, the Virgin Mary. And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Let's say that together. Jesus. Let's say it again. Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. And then verse 25, and he knew her not until she brought forth her firstborn son. That's speaking of Joseph, her physical husband. And he called his name Jesus. Jesus is salvation. You may be seated. Actually, the word Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. Or Jehovah has become salvation. I think it's very clear in the Scripture that the name Jesus brings salvation. Acts 4 and 12, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I remember several years ago, now I think it's approaching 14 years ago, that I was challenged by a minister of another faith Many of you have heard me make this, these comments, but I feel that we need to get into some of this this morning. This man, we had converted a woman from his church who happened to be the latest auxiliary leader of his church. He was, the pastor was very upset. Uh, <clears throat> she was in the hospital. She needed some, she needed healing. The church was somewhat down on healing. In other words, they were expressing that the miraculous did not take place in our present day. Well, you take someone... That's a pretty good doctrine for people who are well. But uh, when people get real sick and nobody's able to help them, then uh, it, it's amazing how drastically your doctrine changes. This lady really needed healing. So there was a sister from our church in the same room with her who witnessed to her, talked to her. I went up and prayed for her. This sister then attended one of our church services in which she was filled with the Holy Ghost. We baptized her in the precious, lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. She went back to her church and talked to her pastor. Needless to say, uh, things did not go well. <clears throat> he was upset. I mean, he was really upset. So he sent word <clears throat> by this sister that he wanted to debate me. Well, in a lot of these debates, there's so many ugly spirits that crop up and such. 
and I, I just never have been interested in debates. So I, I just declined. I said, no, I'm not interested in this. It's not that I'm afraid of what I believe. It's just that I, I've, I've been involved in many conversations in which uh, I do not believe that Christ received the glory. So I, I declined. Well, finally, uh, the gentleman called me, and he wanted to debate me. I mean, he, I mean, he confronted me. And I, I told him, I said, no, I, I, I'm going to have to decline, and here's the reason why. And I told him. I, would, I tried my best to be nice to him. Finally, he called me back and said, I'll tell you what. He said, I want to challenge you. He said, I just think you're a chicken. That's, that's a problem. He said, anybody that's confident in what they believe would really want to, to debate. And I said, well, I feel very confident in what I believe. Well, there was just something about him calling me chicken, you know, that <clears throat> I could hardly stand. So I, uh, I told him, I said, well, why don't we just call this a discussion? Uh, <clears throat> so I made arrangements. What we were going to do was go to this sister's house, this new convert's house, and we were to talk. He told me, said, now, uh, I want you to know that there will be quite a few people from our church and anyone from your church can come that would like to hear this, but you, know, you are not to bring anyone personally with you, such as another minister, and I will do the same. So I agreed. Well, when I got there that evening, the, the, the house was just filled with people, and he had brought another minister along. Uh, which uh, I never did say anything about. I thought, well, he's here, and if this man wants to start out cheating, then he just starts out cheating, I guess. But that's still all right. So we set some ground rules for the debate. I said uh, we need to make sure that this is done in a godly fashion. Everyone here claims to be Christian. And I would prefer that we don't have any attitudes cropping up that's not Christian. So let's just keep this low-key. Let's talk about this in a very decent way, in a Christian way. And we started our discussion at 7 o'clock. Our ground rule stated that we would go no later than 12. Now that's five full hours. That's a long time. What we would allow, we would allow someone from the congregation to ask one of the two pastors involved in the discussion or debate. Uh, We would allow someone to ask the pastor a question. The other pastor that was not asked, if he wanted to, he could respond uh, with the same uh, uh, to the same question. Then after the question was answered, which was supposed to be a very brief uh, answer, then the pastors could uh, elaborate on why they uh, answered the way they answered. The very first question that came up, and this was addressed to uh, the other pastor, not myself, what is salvation? Right. What is salvation? 
Now, I know in this that you're going to say, well, Pastor Grant is just splitting hairs. Uh, I was accused that night of that. Uh, of course, I was accused that night of that only after the debate went on for several hours. And the other pastor decided that what we were talking about was not that important. In fact, he made that statement. He said, well, what we're talking about is really not that important. He said, we're just really splitting theological hairs. But he asked, the, the question was asked, what is salvation? The pastor said, salvation is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So, <clears throat> the next question then was to be asked. I, I didn't say a word. Uh, I did not uh, respond. I didn't. I just chose to pass on the response. I. But the next question, somebody else asked the question. Said, "Well, I want to ask Pastor Grant the same question: What is salvation?" I said, "Well, <clears throat> first place, the question is incorrect. It's not what is salvation; it's who." is salvation. Salvation's not a what, it's a who. Salvation is Jesus Christ. Well, I happen to know that this pastor uh, had in, in, in kind of a, a broad scale from his pulpit he had accused me of believing that salvation comes by works. And now listen to me very carefully. I said this is Bible study all the way. So <clears throat> they asked the pastor to respond by giving us an explanation of his answer. He said, well, that salvation is grace plus zero, nothing. It's just believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing has to be done. Nothing has to be said. No prayers have to be prayed. According to Scripture, and of course he was quoting Scriptures all along. And then, <coughs> pardon me, I chose to respond to his response. I said, the problem with what you have is when you say salvation is believing, believing is something that you do. And when you say that salvation is something you do, you make yourself your own redeemer. And man can only be righteous enough to send his soul to hell, but never righteous enough to save himself. So if you say that salvation is something you do, you are borderlining on believing that salvation comes by works. Now it doesn't mean that works are not involved. It simply means that your works can never be one and the same as Christ works. That there are certain things for you to do and there are certain things for God to do but the final, in the final analysis, salvation is nothing you do. Salvation is Jesus Christ. Well, 
<clears throat> then the discussion got real heavy. Uh, <clears throat> I want to go into some of this. I, th- I think that uh, this is uh, is very, very important. I will go ahead and say that after five hours of debating, finally, this pastor admitted that everyone that was baptized in the Scripture was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, his conclusion was that Jesus had told, according to Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and he'd rather believe Jesus than the apostles. I've heard that argument before, and quite frankly, I think it's the most unintellectual approach to Bible theology that I've ever dealt with. I mean, you've got a holy city resting up on 12 foundations, each one bearing the name of the apostles. And Peter, having the keys to the kingdom of God, preached the first apostolic message in Acts, the second chapter, based upon his revelation that he confessed in Matthew 18. And he confessed that salvation comes, now notice what I said, comes, what must we do to be saved? Notice, it, he, did, he did, the question was not, what is salvation? What must we do? See, there's something you do, and there's something that God does. And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So finally the pastor says, well, this doesn't make any difference anyway. Then, of course, one gentleman who was there put his arm around his pastor and he began to weep and cry. He said, Pastor, when I was an alcoholic, you found me. You prayed for me. I was genuinely delivered. But there's no doubt about it. He said, you made a big, big issue out of this, and it did make a difference until you were backed into a corner. He said, I'm having problems accepting this doesn't make a difference. If it doesn't make a difference, then why are you so upset that my sister is attending Pastor Grant's church? He said, well, it just really doesn't make a difference. Well, time was up. I got up and left. I just bid everyone farewell and left. Because that's what we said we'd do. We'd depart from this home at 12 o'clock. I left him there discussing this with the people. Early the next morning before the crack of dawn, my phone rang. And this brother who had talked with his pastor said, You know, I couldn't sleep last night, neither could my family. He said, I must come in today before I go to work and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So a whole group of those people came in. We baptized them in Jesus' name. This was Lonnie and Nancy Fuller. And, of course, uh, many of you know uh, Scott and Lori. And then uh, recently I was at the camp meeting over in Minnesota. There was Ron and Joy uh, there. Of course, uh, Debbie... Debbie uh, married Mick Miller. Uh, Debbie was involved. 
uh, Debbie was responsible for bringing Cindy Thornton in to our church. Uh, you can you can see the the power of, of a personal witness, how this affects. So we baptized everyone in the room in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the exception of the pastor and the other minister who attended. Now, <clears throat> I want to point out something that is extremely important. I'm, I'm saying it's extremely important for you to understand. If you turn to Romans 10, this is something that was pointed out that evening. <clears throat> Romans 10, verse 9. <clears throat> if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, I shall be saved. Now notice the scripture does not say, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. It doesn't say that. Now that is extremely important that you understand the scripture does not say that you're saved. The word shalt is used which is the Old English version of the word shall. And the word shall simply means that it will occur, but has not yet occurred. That simply means that a man must believe in his heart and must confess with his mouth prior to salvation. that it is necessary to do certain things, but you should never get mixed up in your Bible theology and translate that your works and what you do is salvation. See? That there are things for you to do and there are things that God must do. Now that is extremely important. Now what I'd like to do, I'd like to go into obedience to God and see what important part this plays. If you will turn with me to John 3.16, this is a scripture that <clears throat> is used by so many, many people. It's, it is <clears throat> unquestionably the most quoted scripture of the entire Bible. It's a wonderful, beautiful scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, <clears throat> the word believeth is found here. This also is an old English version of the word believe. Now, when you look at the original Greek, it is translated throughout the New Testament in two different English words, using two different English words, which um, sometimes in the English they, 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 they definitely mean something different, but in the Greek it always means the same. Uh, in Acts, the fifth chapter, verse 32, 
And let's turn there. Acts 5.32. Give you a little time to turn. Let's start reading verse uh, 29. This is the second persecution of the church that took place after the death of Ananias and Sapphira. The power of God's church is exhibited, and as a result of this, persecution came. Verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Now, I think anyone who takes uh, the Bible seriously, that you cannot discard what the Bible has to say about works, neither can you discard what the Bible has to say about obedience. And works and obedience are one and the same. All right, verse 30, For God of our fathers, the God of our fathers, raised up Jesus whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Verse 31. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be the prince and a savior and to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things and so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. Now, let me point out something. The word obey is taken from the exact same Greek word that believeth is taken from in John 3.16. The exact same word. And then, of course, when you turn to Hebrews 5.9, now I'm just pointing out a couple of places in which the word is used and to see how the word is used because this is very, very important. In other words, why did the translators translate it this way? They translate it this way because it can be translated either way. In Hebrews 5 verse 9, and we back up, let's back up to verse 8. Let's see what the scripture says. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. In other words, Jesus Christ was obedient to the Father. All right? Verse 9, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now the word obey here is taken from the very same Greek word, that you find in John 3.16. Basically, the word means to believe or to trust or to obey. That's what the word means. Now, why is it translated obedience in one place and believe in the other? It's it's, it's in, in the three scriptures that I have given to you, I think it's it's purely a choice of the translators as to what they use. And the truth of the matter is that if a person is sincere, you see a sincere person will always search out the truth of all godly matters. 
If you will look in John 3, this is when Jesus talked to Nicodemus about being born again. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, a person at the, at the, I don't care how elastical your brain is, that I don't think you can ever stretch it beyond the comprehension that, that you can get around the new birth. I don't think you can. That is, if you're reading your Bible. Because how can you take something that is so assertive and so direct See, the word cannot has no loopholes in it. Now, how can you take that and say that a man should not be born again? Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I believe that Jesus is saying a man must be born of water, which is baptism. Baptism is both a burial and a birth. I can prove that scripturally. Now, I'll not be able to do to get into that this morning because I don't have enough time. Nevertheless, I want to, I want to stick with the subject that I'm talking about, and that is uh, Jesus' salvation. And while this does have a strong bearing on it, I just can't cover all the facets of it. All right, you must be born of water and of spirit, or he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Now let me just throw this in. The reason why I think Jesus was talking about baptism, if you will notice in the Scripture, Jesus had been baptized of John, but Jesus had not, as of yet, baptized his apostles. Prior to the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost in Acts the second chapter, Jesus baptized the apostles. When did he baptize them? Immediately after he told them that they must be born of water and of spirit, Jesus Christ took and baptized his apostles. Right after John 3.16, you, you notice verse 22 of John 3. After these things came Jesus in, and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. In other words, immediately, the first thing Jesus did when he left Nicodemus. See, Jesus did not start the church. Jesus was the foundation of the church. He, he put the wheels in action, but did not start the church. Now, how can he be the founder of the church and not start the church? Because the church, in order for the church to be born, it had to be born of the Spirit. And that is explained in John 7, verse 37 through 39. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Thus spake he of the Spirit that they, sh they should receive. For well, the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. In other words, Jesus had to ascend into the heavens before His Spirit could come back. He said, I am 
with you now, but I shall be in you. All right? But Jesus then, immediately after he talked of the birth of the water and the birth of the Spirit, he took the apostles and baptized them. Uh, <clears throat> of course, verse 4 explains, see, some of the disciples of John the Baptist, they became very jealous. They said, oh, Jesus is baptizing more people than John. But in, in John the fourth chapter, <clears throat> when therefore the Lord knew how the, uh, the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had made and baptized more disciples than John, notice what it says, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. In other words, Jesus never baptized anyone but his disciples. Now, Jesus, Moses in the Old Testament, was the giver of the Old Testament law. Jesus was a prophet likened to Moses. Moses took the first priest and cleansed them, washed them at the brazen laver, which is a type of baptism. It was a shadow of baptism. Jesus was the giver of the New Testament law, and prior to the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost, he took the apostles that had the revelation of who he was, the mighty God in Christ revelation, and he baptized them, but he never baptized anyone else, according to Scripture. Now, <clears throat> I do not find it just coincidental that Jesus would take these men out and baptize them when he first makes mention of baptism. Well, <clears throat> all of this, <clears throat> I feel, gives credence to, to, to why the translators would use the word believe. Now, why would they use the word believe instead of obey? Actually, it wouldn't really make any difference. But you see, he's still talking to Nicodemus when he says... For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. Because the very first step in any man coming to God is his personal belief. John eight twenty four. Except ye believe that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. Can, can a man even respond without... Believing that God is God? I mean, it all starts in the heart. But the thing about it is, you should never interpret your personal belief in God as salvation. Belief is something you do in order to be saved. Now, that, that's extremely important. For, for you to understand. So, it is translated here, believe. It is translated obedience or obey in Acts the 5th chapter, verse 32, and in Hebrews the 5th chapter, verse 9, it is translated obey. Now, <clears throat> the question comes up about dead works. I think this is something that that we need to understand because... People who feel that you need to do something in order to receive something from Christ. 
They say, well, that's dead works, and the Bible's against dead works. Well, I want to talk about that just for a moment, so let's go to the book of James. This is where the the uh, <clears throat> subject, subject is addressed, the test of good works. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Question mark. Then he goes into this analogy. <clears throat> now, this is a... This is a big question. There is no book in the Bible that will test a man like the book of James. You know, the test of religion, the test of good works, the test of faith, uh, you can find in the book of James. Just for your information, the old German Lutheran Bibles did not contain the book of James because Martin Luther said the just shall live by faith, and he was sick and tired of the dead works of the Roman Catholic Church. So history bears this, that he was responsible for taking the book of James out of the Scripture. Uh, go down to the library and check out one of the old German Lutheran books, and you'll find it does not have the book of James in it. Because he said the book of James is contradictory to all of the Scripture. My, my question to you is, is it really contradictory? Let's just take a look at this. All right. <clears throat> what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food... One of you say unto him, Depart in peace, and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding. Ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, doth, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it have not works, is dead, being alone. Now the reason why that, that, that this is the way it is, because the Scripture teaches us that faith is not something that is a figment of the imagination or something that is passive. That faith is active. And inasmuch as you cannot separate character from conduct, neither can you separate faith from works. See, we have made faith so sacred that we think that it's our faith that saves us. It is our faith that brings salvation. Now you see, before you can before you can draw conclusions relative to any subject in the Bible, you must first search out all the evidences of the Scripture and draw a conclusion after you have looked at all the Scriptures, not just a few Scriptures. Yea, a man may say, "Thou hast faith; I have, and have, I have works." He said, "Show me thy faith without thy works." And I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. In other words, <clears throat> what he's doing here, he's challenging an individual that some people just interpret faith to be a figment of the imagination. So people say, I believe in one God. He said, oh, well, the devils do that too. They have first-hand information that you don't have because they at one time abode in the heavens 
where there was only one God. See? Verse 20, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. And the word dead means separation. That's all it means. Death means separation. And he goes into this in verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, let me go to uh, another place in the Scripture that, that is, is separate and apart from the book of James. Let's, let's go look at, at what Jesus Christ had to say about this. Uh, let's turn to, to Matthew 7, 21. Matthew 7, 21. Of course, Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest message that was ever preached. Matthew seven twenty one. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Now, when James talks about dead works, you have to understand what he is addressing, and that is a man that just goes out and disciplines himself to do right when deep inside of his heart he does not have faith in what he's doing. Or when he interprets what he is doing as salvation. Because when you do that, you stop leaning upon Jesus Christ. You stop believing in Jesus Christ. You stop depending in Jesus Christ. If I felt that my salvation was standing up behind this pulpit and preaching every Sunday morning, after a while I would no doubt draw the conclusion that I'm going to go to heaven based on the fact that I preach once a week, twice a week, or three times a week in this pulpit or at least in some pulpit. But that's not what it's all about. Salvation is Jesus. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Now, all through the Scripture, Jesus spoke of the importance of responding according to your faith. And that response is called works or obedience. Now what I'd like to do, I'd like to go to, to uh, let's go to James 1 verse 22. <clears throat> Notice what Jesus said. Be ye, I said, Jesus, James said, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. In other words, you must be a doer of the word. A doer of the word. Obedience is necessary. Now, you may say, well, you're, booking, you're back in that forbidden book, James. But let's go to Titus. I, I think that uh, there's there's something that's that we're, that we're just missing out on because of some teachings that we've had 
from men and not really from the Scripture. Now, let me just acquaint you first with the language of the Scripture, Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. I saw on a church letterhead the logo, and this letterhead came from the same denomination of this pastor that I debated, and this is what it said, grace plus nothing equals salvation. That's not the teaching of the Scripture. The Bible says the grace of God that bringeth salvation. In other words, it's His grace, that divine leading of the heart, that brings us to God. But when you say grace plus nothing equals salvation, my friend, that's heresy. That's heresy first class. The doctrine of beliefism is as much a violation as the doctrine of salvation that cometh by works. Because both of them are things that you do and you are responsible for. Now, that's not to say you should do nothing. Because that's not the teaching of the Scripture either. It simply means that after you do what you need to do, and you can only do what you need to do when God first does what He does, and that is the divine leading of the heart. No man cometh to God except the Spirit draweth him. You could not have faith in God if God's Spirit didn't work inside of you and draw you. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The origin of faith starts in the heart of an individual. God is responsible for that. But while God is responsible for it coming, please understand, you can stop it with unbelief. In other words, you can fight the voice of God and fail to believe the voice of God or trust in the voice of God through your unbelief. All right. <clears throat> now, after he gives us this beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture about grace, then chapter 3, this is how he, he starts it. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers and obey magistrates and be ready and be ready to every good work. Now he's talking about works rendered to man. Verse 4, but after the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now what he's saying is the washing of regeneration, if you run the reference, he's talking about baptism, and he's talking about the Holy Ghost. Now, he says, it's not by works of righteousness which you have done. In other words... Did you really earn the Holy Ghost? No. Did you work hard enough to get the Holy Ghost? No. Absolutely not. And even though faith is active, it starts out as being very passive in the mind, but when in the mind faith is there, then the body responds in a very passive, uh, active way, and a man gets up from where he is, 
And sometimes he goes to a closet of prayer. Sometimes he comes to the front of the church. Sometimes he does nothing but pray right where he is. But you must understand that while he is praying, that it is not his praying that's salvation. It's not his getting up that's salvation. You see, Jesus said in Matthew 7, Ask, it shall be given unto thee. Seek, ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. For everyone that seeketh, he does what? He findeth. Everyone that asketh, he receiveth. Everyone that knocks, it shall be opened. Now this is what Jesus said. Listen to me carefully. If your father, then being earthly, know how to give good gifts unto men, how much more shall your heavenly father know how to give the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? But there is a vast difference between the knocking on the door and the answer that comes beyond the closed door. What Jesus is saying is if you want to get beyond the door, you must knock on the door in order for the door to be opened. You must ask in order for the answer to come. But don't, don't ever be guilty of saying that my asking is the same as the answer. It is not the same. There is something you do. There is something that God does. And you should never confuse your part with God's part. Because you're in violation of Scripture. Oh, hallelujah. Now, <clears throat> but let's continue to read verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Now what I'm showing you, while this may not have a direct bearing as far as its connection with salvation is concerned, there is no place in the Scripture that Jesus Christ or any of the apostles said, Oh, forget about what you do. That is, that's hogwash. That's not the language of Scripture. Even when Jesus addressed the, the message concerning who is my neighbor. gave the parable of the good Samaritan. He said, this do and thou shalt live. Because the first and the greatest commandment is to love. The figment of the imagination. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling. But love is an action. And verse 14, let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessity, uh, uses, that they be not unfruitful. Now this, I could go on and on and on. If time would permit and you were willing to stay, we could go all afternoon talking about what Jesus and the apostles had to say about obedience and what they had to say about works. So good works, <clears throat> like faith, like believing, like asking, like knocking, are important, but you must understand that that and that alone is not salvation. It is not salvation. 
Now, <clears throat> ordinarily, my time is up. But being I run the whole show, I'll just, what I'll do is just, the, the, the teachers don't know it, but they have another ten minutes in their classrooms. So we'll just, uh, they don't know that, but but this this is necessary. Please understand, this is necessary. In 1 Corinthians 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. Did you know that you're saved by the gospel? <clears throat> now, we say the gospel is the good news. But you see, there's a vast difference about there's a vast difference in preaching about Jesus and preaching Jesus. Now notice what happens. But keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, the gospel you received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he arose again the third day according to the Scripture. So the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ was buried. Jesus Christ arose. That is the gospel. And this is what Peter was preaching in Acts, the second chapter, on the day of Pentecost. And let's turn there. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts, the second chapter, this is exactly what Jesus was preaching, or Jesus, Peter was preaching. He talks about Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye also also as ye yourselves also know. That's verse twenty-two. Verse 24, the Bible says, Whom God also raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he that, that should be holding of it. Now, it comes down to the conclusion of this message. Verse 32, This Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and have received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now notice this. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? The word do is an active word. What are we supposed to do about this? Now, <clears throat> when they said, what shall we do? I think it's clearly understood when a man said, what must we do? He has already believed. Otherwise, he wouldn't be saying this. What should we do? 
Then Peter said unto them, Do nothing, because you've already believed. Therefore, everything's okay. That's not what he said. Grace plus zero equals salvation. That's not what he said. Repent. Something you do. But you can't do it without the leadership of the Spirit. You can't do it without God opening your understanding so that you see yourself as a dirty, rotten sinner. You see men and women come into the church all dressed up, neckties and such. Ladies got their hair all fixed up. And you'd say, oh, beautiful people, gorgeous people, wonderful people. But all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. You cannot, Jesus told Nicodemus, every one of you. Now, he did not exclude any person. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I don't have time to go in to the Scripture to prove that the gift of the Holy Ghost is Jesus Christ to you. Basically, let me just give you this explanation. A ghost is the spirit of the departed one. Jesus was the holy departed one. And his ghost is called the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit in the Scripture. And that's what he promised in John seven thirty nine. But thus spake he of the Spirit that they should believe on him. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when a man repents of his sins, what is he doing? He is responding to God and God's death. It would not be possible for you to repent if you were not nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ and this is explained the book of Hebrews, also the book of Romans. Wherefore, we are crucified with Christ. We could not go down in water and be immersed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and have sins remitted if Jesus Christ had not have been buried. Wherefore, we are buried with Him in baptism. You see, we're crucified with Him, buried with Him. And then the same Spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in your mortal bodies. It shall also quicken you in the day of the Lord. So when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance, this is conclusive evidence that we have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is the same as the new birth that is explained in John 3. But please understand, it's not your belief. Belief is something you do. doesn't mean you're not supposed to believe. 
It's not your trip down to an altar and your prayers that you pray that saves you. Those are things that you do in order to condition yourself for Jesus Christ. But salvation is Jesus. I'd like for you to stand with me. I don't know when I have ever wanted to preach more or longer than right now. There's a lot in the Bible, but don't make the mistake of pulling out a few little pet scriptures that you have and walk away and say, well, but this is what the scripture says. Here, take all the scriptures dealing with that same subject and draw a conclusion after you have looked at all of them, not just a few. Praise God. Let's sing the chorus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Now while we sing this, why don't you step out and come down? to the Lord today. Pour your heart out to Him in true repentance. Praise God. Some of you come and pray with Brother Irby. Would you do that right now? Some of you come and pray with these brothers who have come. The rain. Oh, Jesus. Jesus.